Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of One Click Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of B2B Made Simple. Joining me here on the show, I have Tara Panu. She is the VP of Marketing at VoiceFlow. Tara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sam. Excited to be here. Yeah, this is going to be a, a fun episode on really getting into the nitty gritty of positioning, your ICP, um, your go-to-market motion. I kind of nerd out about that stuff. So we're about to do that, which is really cool. But I always like to open up the, uh, the podcast with like a fun question. So if you had to choose between a vacation in the mountains on a lake or a vacation on the beach at the ocean, what do you think you would choose? Mountain every time. Yeah? <laughs> I I love, I love, um, uh, I, I live in California near San Francisco, actually. So getting to go up to Tahoe is just a blessing. And so I think having gone there during the summer and also getting to, to be there by the winter, I think you just get more out of it. Um, but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm definitely a lake and mountain person. Very cool. Okay. Good to know. So now let's get into some marketing stuff. Now that we know, you know, the ideal vacation, uh, location, if you had to choose between the two. <laughs> So for to kick us off here, why is it critical to understand that we shouldn't and we can't sell to everyone? And that basically the, the notion that everyone's our customer is wrong. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's certainly a, a great question. Um, I think what is the phrase? Uh, if you try to be all things to all people, you won't be anything to anybody. Um, I, I think it's uh, certainly in, in my experience, having the last two rounds uh, kind of joining pretty early, um, you know, joining companies around series A, um, where there is sort of a product market fit. I, I think this is really important to understand that um, not everyone can truly be the customer. If you try to go too broad, it really muddies the message. And I think if, if companies have a strong position and point of view, and there is a level of product market fit, it's really important to, um, I think, be super focused, I think, with the messaging. I mean, everything from you're trying to build repeatability and most importantly, you're trying to build uh, repeatable customer success, right? So if the focus is on the customer, you want them to be wildly successful. Um, sometimes when people go too broad, they start to gather insights that may not be as relevant, right? So mm -hmm. people that may be churning faster. Um, it's not just a, a single group's problem. It's really, I think, a business-wide um, thing to monitor, especially early on. And of course, like in early stage growth startups, like you want repeatability and the sales motion. You want to ensure that the product team is not being inundated with uh, custom requirements that sort of distracts. And I think the other thing too, in, in, in my uh, past experience of seeing that you sometimes lose sight of uh, why you were, you know, why you created this company in the first place. And sometimes like, I think that company point of view is so critical um, and having that sort of North star and that vision. And sometimes when you try to uh, sell too quickly and too broadly across the board, you sort of lose sight of that. So I, I, I I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm, I think the more focused we can be, the better. Yeah. So, um, Previous guests have had on, we've talked about uh, brand narrative, which I guess to sum it up in a sentence, it would be like, why do you matter to the market and why should they even mm -hmm. care about what you do? So when it comes to positioning, how would you 
sum it up? I'm curious to hear like in, in Tara's words, what would you consider that? I think um, it's a great, great piece. Um, I think positioning uh, helps us frame why customers should choose us now. Hmm. I think it's very much rooted in the present. Um, and I think it helps businesses describe why specific types of customers choose our product over like an other alternative way to solve their problem. So um, yeah, I think it's very much rooted in uh, uh, where we are best positioned um, in the eyes of the customer and um, where we have the mo- we provide the most value to the customers that care the most about mm-hmm. about the product. And so very much in now. And the other part of positioning um, is that it can constantly and it constantly evolves, right? I think that uh, how you position yourself, you know, in the first like twelve months could absolutely change, right? As market dynamics change as you um, start to see how customers are adopting and using additional challenges and business problems um, arise from that and, and, and the different products you may bring out to market. So there's different factors, mm-hmm. but I think uh, one piece is that it's not a set and forget it. It's a constant refinement, but um, certainly uh, how we position ourselves to our ideal buyer now is, is really critical. And that should not, uh, I think, be uh, misunderstood from you know how you may position to an investor. I think those are two very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's also where I've seen some companies uh, struggle with. And certainly in, in my past experience, it's always been the way we um, position to investors is how we want to position ourselves to customers. And that's not, you, you just start to, it, things don't resonate, right? And it doesn't mm-hmm. really click for the buyer. Yeah, so with, with positioning being so fluid, you guys have recently, and we'll get into this, uh, you know, later in this podcast, have gone through positioning exercises and really honed in your ICP, your go-to-market motion. When will you revisit that again if it is fluid? Like, what what timetable are you looking at? Um, it's, you know, I think it's something we look at. To be honest, given our size of where we are right now, I mean, it is something, um, you know because of the, the frequency in which we talk to the customer and talk to the market, um, you know, it is, I think really for, for cross collaboration, I think quarterly, we really look mm-hmm. at this, okay. um, everything from, you know, where, uh, and this is where I think all stakeholders, right. Uh, from product to customer success, marketing and sales really come together. Right. I think it's where you kind of look at the pipeline, right. You look at you know the deals that have closed, maybe the deals that we've lost. And it really gives that, opportunity, you know, what was, um, you know, if we were getting customer feedback or, or um, doing a survey, you kind of bring all those data points together, that really gives you a pulse. Are all the things that we were doing, you know, in terms of creating demand out there in the market, uh, the product, uh, the features or enhancements that we were releasing, did that all align with um, the expectation? And so I think it's also another opportunity to constantly refine um, that positioning and, and figure out, I think collectively um, across all those different functional areas, like where can we improve and whether that's, I think messaging is an output from the position. I think often people confuse the two that positioning is the messaging. I think there's a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, I think, uh, rooted in overall, how are we approaching like our go-to-market strategy? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's how I would, uh, I would do that. Yeah. I would, I would consider it uh, narrative and strategy. So your brand narrative and then positioning stems from that. So like, who, who are you going to target with this narrative? And then messaging comes out of positioning and your brand narrative fused together because you can't have messaging without the two. Would you kind of define it in that order? 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that as, um, and I think even like from a company vision, right, that that's sort of the the North Star. Absolutely. I think the strategy is always the, the how you're planning on getting there. And that all that is, uh, so position is always evolving, right, as the strategy is, um, as you're constantly refining it. So absolutely. Um, and I think it's also one of the things like on a quarterly basis, when we look at the customers, um, that either we've we've closed or that have um, or you know that have expanded. I think that also really fuels um, a lot of you know how we decide to to message and and I think make make those place those bets uh, mm-hmm. moving forward. So you mentioned early on, I think we're all in agreement here that your customers are not everybody. Uh, your buyer is not everyone. Uh, with that being said, I know you're still pretty early stages at the company that you're at. Maybe this applies to a previous company, or maybe you kind of have some insights before you're at this company. Early on, was the customer everyone? Interesting. So, you know, I can give an experience of um, uh, a previous, uh, where I uh, previously worked, um, where we actually, early on, when we were launching our product and bringing it out to market, we had um, obviously had validated with a set number of enterprise customers, and it happened to be uh, financial services banks, and it really helped shape, hey, we've really identified a, a market opportunity. Um, I think this is the case where we actually uh, went for uh, uh, looking at partners, right, to actually sell on behalf. And, you know, we I learned very quickly, actually, in the first year, um, when we try to go way too broad, we uh, weren't really making the progress that we thought, right? Mm-hmm. We weren't able to really, it was really hard to market to those, uh, to those individuals, right? When you're, you're an early stage startup um, and, you know, I was a single marketer at the time, you have to place your bets in those dollars very appropriately. And it's really hard to segment, uh, it was really hard to market to multiple segments, right? Mm-hmm. At that stage. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was, it was, it was hard. It was definitely, um, it was, it was a struggle. A lot of learnings came out of that, I think, eventually when we were able to really land um, a couple uh, a couple customers and within, like, for example, like financial services, that we started to realize um, that there was a big market and opportunity. And if we actually, uh, we went through the exercise of like repositioning uh, the product and offering. So we weren't, uh, you know, there is the, the broader market, like mobile communications or, you know, business phone system, right? There's so many, so many vendors that are out there and, and different, uh, uh, you know, from, you know, early stage or SMB to large enterprises. But when we really try to position ourselves for investment banking, um, very small, right? And that, that took a lot, but we all of a sudden started to see a significant impact in terms of um, repeatability in terms of like just even the buying process itself. Uh, it was so much easier when we started marketing to that audience and really leveraged the existing customers where we were successful as great proof points and validation. Mm-hmm. That really helped actually, uh, you know, and they were referring us to other, you know, like-minded or, you know, other businesses that were similar. All of a sudden, like we were able to increase our pipeline. We were closing deals a lot faster and that really allowed us to then figure out other ways to expand. So we went from, you know, just selling to investment banking to then um, looking at how we position ourselves for financial services. And so that was sort of an evolution where we definitely uh, failed, but failed quickly in realizing going so broad, nothing was really sticking. Yeah. And, um, and then when we made that shift, uh, you know, we really, I think it helped uh, solidify like our product. 
we were able to, I think we were seeing repeated, um, you know, I, I think uh, customers that were constantly renewing, they were getting the most value out of it. And we also started seeing like, I think that overall momentum across, across um, that particular vertical. And um, similarly, you know, coming into the company now, um, VoiceFlow, it was uh, an interesting exercise where, you know, there was an initial product for a certain, uh, you know, certain single player type of audience, like the no code type of platform mm -hmm. for like Alexa and Google skill builders. And um, as they were uh, refining their offering for more of like a mid-market enterprise play where it was really oriented around a team product, that was where um, coming in new, it was actually a, a wonderful opportunity of really digging my heels into, okay, we were having, I think in the last like six to eight months, a lot of success in a certain segment of the market. And that was a really uh, a good place for me to start to really figure out, okay, like let me immerse myself in the customer and understanding um, everything from why they bought, uh, what problems that they were trying to solve, really understanding uh, the role that they played in the company. And it actually, I think, started this entire positioning exercise where it was a, a company-wide effort, which was fantastic. And it was very much supported by leadership of mm -hmm. if we can really hone in on that ICP, it's going to help really drive, obviously, our go-to-market strategy. So happy to walk through walk, walk through the steps there, um, if even that would be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So my a quick question for you, though. Um, so for example, we just went through uh, Obviously Awesome a few months ago, which is a book by April Dunford, yeah. which is pretty, <clears throat> she's like, yeah, pretty popular in the positioning community. And one of the things she said is like, don't even pick up this book if you don't have trends within your customers. And she is under, she, she believes, I think anyway, from what I gathered from the book is like, go extremely broad and then narrow it down from there. Do you think that that's, I know it's very nuanced. Do you think that's a wise approach for companies, at least in the beginning when they really aren't sure which, which direction to go with an ICP and then start picking up trends from customers that have really worked well with their product? Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably, I think that's uh, fair to say, right. Yeah. Where, um, I think as momentum are building, I think that the good thing is that people love the product. Um, it was, so that's always a, a big benefit, but I think when I um, arrived, we had, if you, if you were to just look at the, the logos and you would look at, okay, um, it's from a variety of industries, right? Mm -hmm. From, you know, the fortune 500 um, to even just early stage startups. So a lot of times when you think about customer segmentation, a lot of people that would say, okay, we're selling to enterprise. It's very much driven by, okay, size of company. Um, and I think where uh, we really started to get better at it is actually we did have a wide base, right? Of companies from all kinds of sizes, mm -hmm. all, kinds of uh, all kinds of industries. And then I think when we started to peel it back, um, the, the great thing is a sales team are, they're very, uh, it's just very lucky to have like a revenue leader that is, mm -hmm very customer centric and consultative. And so we were all, we were collectively on this mission to really figure out um, what makes like a really good customer. And like, you know, for them, they wanted to be as efficient as possible. So mm -hmm. really understanding when to walk away and that, yeah. that, and to be able to start from that point that that perspective where um, coming into a company where there was that level of awareness around that was like a really um, awesome place for me as a marketer mm -hmm. um, to really dig my heels in. And actually then I think the big opportunity was to really um, go out, do that proactive and just that customer listening and spending time uh, without having deep knowledge of the product, right? Um, to actually uh, start to pick up on 
common themes um, and then be able to like document that and, and evolve it over time. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's walk through, if you can, just how you guys recently tackled positioning. Did you follow a framework? Was this something that you kind of, uh, you know, maybe you took a few different frameworks and infused one into your own? What did that process look like for you? Yeah, so I think um, overall, as we were uh, looking at, okay, um, kind of putting together what our go-to-market strategy was for for this year, I think kind of how I looked at it was first just um, laying the foundation and setting like, what was our primary objective out of like this exercise, if you will? Mm-hmm. And I think one was, you know, obviously aligning the sales, marketing, and the the entire company, frankly, right? Just given our size to to create that alignment internally. Um, two was really to help the marketing team just really refine who we're targeting, right? The audiences, um, and then really figuring out what are the topics that our buyers really care about. Knowing that you know buyers are independently wanting to go educate themselves, um, it, it's 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 not a linear process, right? We also have the ability to go into the product for free. So we just know that that's just a natural part of the buying journey. But really through this exercise is really um, understanding more about our customers around what do we need to educate them about and the stories that we really wanna tell. And the last bit was really, I think uh, through this exercise was to be able to help sales obviously qualify opportunities more effectively and efficiently and arm them with the right conversations to have with the right stakeholders and to be able to lead with our customer success, right? We had so many amazing um, references. We had, you know, uh, amazing advocates and champions. We really wanted them to lead the charge, right? And to really uh, lead with that type of storytelling. So that was sort of the first part of really like laying the foundation is really to create that that, that alignment. Um, and then the, thinking about the way I was gonna go about this was of course, um, spending like the first like 30 days. Um, one, I think talking not only with like internal subject matter experts, like so, you know, spending time with our customer success lead and our um, revenue lead to just really um, understand the process, right? So, you know, everything from, um, you know, how to, you know, who are the right stakeholders, or, you know, who are the stakeholders that the team is currently talking with? What are some of the objections? And just kind of going through everything from, you know, the early discovery process. Um, and then also being able to take, okay, hey, we've closed these logos, um, not only looking at ones that we recently closed, the ones that have been like a longer, um, have been a customer mm-hmm. for a long period of time, really trying to understand um, uh, what are the attributes of those customers that, that make them, you know, that make them great opportunities for expansion. So just really looking at like our customer success team as, okay, um, what makes a good opportunity for that type of expansion with the sales team? It's like, For them, it was just about the entry point into the conversation. So spending a lot of time doing a lot of interviews there to really document and see, okay, where are the teams either like struggling or what do they need help with? Um, And then the other time was spent on identifying, obviously, and leveraging the relationships that um, the team has had on identifying not only existing customers for me to interview, but then also um, I started to get a sense of, okay, who are the kinds of roles that um, that are, are like who are our buyers and actually not mm-hmm. only talking to customers that are paying us, but also customers that are not paying us or may not even be aware of voice flow. Mm-hmm. So it was really important for me to, um, once I started getting my feet, um, uh, it really, uh, and I, my teeth into like our existing customer base and what made them really successful and just like starting to draw out some really good insights. I wanted to kind of validate that with, okay, let me go to a set of customer or a set of prospects that are not mm-hmm. even aware of voice flow. 
and to try to understand more about their day in the life, right? And and just uh, where where this type of tool sits in with their priorities, and um, and really try to mirror those and like document that. So that that was sort of like my plan of attack of how I mm-hmm. wanted to do it. In terms of like what the deliverable was, it was sort of unclear. But I think uh, what I wanted to do was first document what our hypothesis was, right? In terms of like benefits, like customer targets. Um, I got some great ideas around, you know, straight from the rev team around uh, when to walk away. Mm-hmm. So that was like interesting. That kind of gave me the first indication of, okay, what may not be a really, what may not be a good fit. And then be able to take that and like validate that against like existing customers to try to draw out what are some of the themes. Also, that was a great opportunity to understand what are all the steps that they want to take before they even talk to sales, mm-hmm. right? Where do they go to consume information? Who do they trust? Um, how do they make those kinds of um, buying decisions? And what was really interesting for me, it was less about, um, I think I very quickly validated what they found valuable in the product. But what was really interesting was it was less about um, necessarily the product features and function, but it was really what they were struggling with was a lot of the change management, right? So once they were they understood like um, and they identified the pain points in the business, it was really what... Uh, took them a really long time to finally get something like this deployed was really because they didn't really know how to navigate the internal, like their internal stakeholders engaging with them. And so that was a a really unique insight for me to think about. It's not just talking about um, how, how the product works and tying it to value, but it's also understanding that as buyers, like we have, how do we better enable our champion to be able to sell this and like for them to really um, adopt this at scale. And it's really important for them that they're leaning on us for best practices or, you know, how other customers have done it. So that was a really interesting insight that being able to double down on creating content that really focused on um, more of the process and like change management aspect, which was um, interesting, right? Because it was less about less about the product actually, and more about the process um, uh, uh, to get to that initial sale. So when it came to identifying that sweet spot customer, the ICP that you're really, really looking for, your people have probably heard this a ton of times, but it boiled down to talking to customers and buyers. Yeah. 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 It, it was, uh, it, it was, I think I spent, it was a great process actually of onboarding. It was interesting. So coming in obviously with a, a company that has a very impressive logo list and coming in and actually not doing the official product training. Um, and, sitting in on a lot of customer demos, right, uh, with the sales team. And to be able to learn, kind of you learn the product through the eyes of the customer was really interesting. So I got a really good mix of people that were um, taking that first discovery call. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to understand that part of the process, the kind of questions that they would ask. And then I got to more, you know, folks that were actually further down the funnel um, that were actually going through a trial. So I really got a good mix of people. And it was really interesting to pick up on still, what are the questions that they're asking? And some may seem very basic, but I thought that that was such a great opportunity. It's like, how do we then educate them earlier in the process? Mm -hmm. So it makes those um, interactions with like our subject matter experts a lot more meaningful. And and the great thing was it became more consultative over time, right? That I saw. So um, yeah, so that, that's certainly like uh, how I entered, you know, I think the onboarding, but then of course it's absolutely um, it, it's scary for some, right? But it's just, I cold messaged and DM'd a lot of other people. <laughs> yeah. um, 
I, I did. And I was like, this is what it takes. This is now I really understand, you know, I feel for sales and PBR, <laughs> but I just went and I, I, I kind of put my list together and I just went in and I, I think I used the card. Hey, I'm, I'm, and I think the other thing is like, I'm, I'm not in sales, I'm in marketing. So using the, you know, new, yeah. um, actually really helped as well. And I'm here to learn and just kind of setting the expectations up front. And surprisingly, like people were willing to, to take the call, which was great. Um, so I try to fill up my calendar the first several weeks of just making sure I got my outreaches done and then um, just try to book as many calls as possible. And uh, I think then it was just about, okay, preparing for what are the questions that I want to ask, but what am I, what am I trying to get out of this conversation? How do I plan to use some of the, the insights that, um, that come out of it? So um, that, that was sort of, uh, I think, really important. And then since all these calls were recorded as well, actually, it was great to be able to share that with the sales team um, and just kind of pick up on, um, it was just really helpful for them to actually hear how, you know, if it was an existing customer, why they found the product really valuable. And we actually ended up getting really good testimonials <laughs> from some of the calls nice. that they were willing for yeah. us to share. So it kind of killed two birds with one stone. Um, but yeah, that, that's sort of the uh, approach that I took when I, when I first started. It reminds me, I recently had a, a question for our buyers because I needed some clarification on like, Hey, who, who has the keys to this? And, you know, just making sure to see, like, we were on the right track with our positioning. And I was surprised because I reached out to maybe 30 buyers and they were, again, I had previously made, built a relationship with them and I know them. But I think a factor that came in was like, I was not going in with a sales intent here. It was simply asking a question mm -hmm. about, Hey, who owns a website in your company? Like, I'm just, I'm actually curious. Like we're just trying to uh, figure these out. And obviously we found out it's very nuanced, but there were some trends, but everyone was like, Oh yeah, it's here. Like this person, this person, this is where my last company. And it was very interesting and very helpful to know that like, if you come with the right intentions and just ask for a favor, a lot of times people are going to be open to jumping on a call, uh, responding yeah. to the DM, if you're not there to try and spam them. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, and I think setting that up front and, and honoring that is like really important. And, and even just like in the follow up, right. So that was, um, I totally, totally agree. And I think um, trying to approach it like a conversation, right. Um, you, you know, it's, 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 it's a human at the other end. And so I think uh, leading with that yeah, it was, it was really surprising and really encouraging to, to hear more. And, and oftentimes um, the conversations even went longer, <laughs> which yeah. is always great as well. And you just kind of pick up. And I think the other thing is like, you know, you can listen to sales calls, right? And you can listen to that. Um, but I think, you know, like with marketers or just any other person, you, you kind of look at it through a different lens. And so I think it's really important to be able to bring all those insights together because what I may ask and what I derive from it is very different than, you know, maybe how a seller would think about it. But, you know, for me, it's like, it was more than just validating the messaging. It was more of like, really from a marketing perspective is just like understanding what their typical processes are and like, what are their expectations when they look for technologies? Where do they go for information? Like really helped me like figure out, okay, what channels and mm -hmm. um, who are influential people when it comes to making those buying decisions, especially in like a new space, like within conversational AI, it's such a big um, broad term, but you know, we knew we were playing a role in there specifically. So it was really important for me just to really um, level set, right? Because, you know, everyone can talk about conversational AI, but like, what does that really mean? So it was really um, interesting to, to see, 
you know, picking up on like key influencers um, that helped a lot of the buyers, where do they go and hang out? Like the kinds of communities um, they were, they offered all of that. And the next thing I did, it was I joined and I just sort of listened and it just, and now um, I think the rest of the team are doing the same and it's just mm -hmm. on a weekly basis. It's, it's so fun when you're able to bring in um, additional insights to the table as a, as a marketing team, because it's like everything you do, the tactics become so easy when you really are, you know, deeply, um, yeah, just really understand your customers deeply. So I think that that's just a big, it was, it was a great, um, I think, alignment. What came out of this whole exercise was a very clear documented kind of go to market with clear definitions around what our ICP was. So, um, and it was, and then it also like showcased like where we're having success and opportunities for land and expand. And really um, what the interesting part that came out of it is actually, we came up with this maturity curve and, and we, um, as we're having conversations with these customers, realizing um, people that weren't necessarily like using the product to the full extent, yet a great individual champion, but wasn't able to really like expand much. And um, after having those questions and then starting to figure out, okay, there's like levels of maturity that we're starting to see across like our customer base. And when we started to map, like what are some of the attributes that would put a customer in that bucket. Um, we had that outline. We actually went through and were able to place a lot of our marquee like logos in that. And it became super clear actually um, of what we thought uh, and actually changed our view and made it very clear like, hey, that this like level three, level four, however we were defining it is our core sweet spot for us. And even like the best of logos, like the most notable brands that weren't expanding, right? And and we were having trouble getting them um, uh, to, uh, you know, just even pick up the phone sometimes. We're very much on the lower end. So it really, I think it was a great one exercise. And now it's something that I think the entire company is aligned to where it's like, we're trying to build content and, and really focus on, you know, ex people that are um, in that level of maturity, right? And I think that's where we can add a lot of value because they recognize the pain point in their organization the businesses are um, staffed and they really believe in like, you know, conversational AI as a practice. They have the right roles and teams formed in there and they have the same mindset that we do, right? And they really understand like our point of view. So it became so much easier when we were able to um, extract that and like then really make that like our core ICP. It's something we'll want to look at on a quarterly basis, right? Because how can we further refine that even further? Um, but that was like, I think the biggest takeaway for me is, is the way you segment is not just about certain firmographic or technographic um, attributes. It's, it's, it's more than that. And you won't get that information unless you talk to the customers yeah. directly. So when it comes to positioning at the end of the day, it's defining who we're going to be selling to, but more importantly, yeah. and I'm curious to know if you agree with this, it's defining who we're not going to be selling to as well. Right. I, I totally agree. I think sometimes in some cases, um, knowing, uh, being clear on who you don't sell to is sometimes as important, being able to say that out loud, <laughs> yeah. right? Because it's yeah. hard, it's really hard for people to accept that, right? Um, I, I've been part of teams where it was really hard for the leader to, to say and didn't want to pigeonhole them, you know, didn't want to pigeonhole our product to a certain set of customers, wanted to appear, but, you know, they always talk about like appear yeah. bigger than you are. Um, and that was very confusing to buyers. And, and so I think um, what I, 
I think by being clear on what you're not and who it's not for, it actually ends up creating a lot more trust with the buyers, right? And adds to the credibility. Because if you can kind of say, hey, you know, we may not be the right fit, um, but, you know, here's some other recommended approach and things like that. You never know that they could be a customer later or they can move to a different organization that could be, you know, in that sweet spot or in your ICP. So I mm -hmm. think by making that and being upfront about that um, and having that kind of self-awareness, I think it actually adds more credibility to your brand as well. And yeah. you're being very um, clear with the buyer, like from the very beginning. I haven't checked out your, your website messaging and maybe you guys haven't tackled it since you redid the positioning, but is your goal or is the current uh, messaging on your site built to help qualify people out? Not yet. So we're in the middle of doing <laughs> that. So now that we've got, we've got um, kind of the ICP really formalized and have done all, you know, a lot of the primary market research to figure out, okay, um, we, we know our website needs to be for our buyers, needs to be the destination for them to self-educate and take action, right? And I think um, we need to focus our team now, like the focus is like going and creating demand mm -hmm. um, and, and being able to tell that story and, and communicate with our market um, on, you know, we've identified the key channels in which we're going to double down on. Um, so I think, yes, now next up is actually we're in the middle of um, uh, crafting and, and kind of simplifying and ensuring that our website reflects the, the ICP uh, messaging that we've come up with. And so, yeah, we're right in the middle of, of doing that. So it, it's, it's one of those things got some, for the sake of speed and the nice part is being a nimble. It's, it's not a, I'm glad that the attitude is not a set and forget it, that it's mm -hmm. like a constant refinement, but I think um, really being diligent right now, of like looking at it with fresh eyes and like, what, what do we want this experience to be? What is like the overall marketing strategy? Because website is where we want to capture demand, but we actually need to go and create. And so ensuring that the team recognizes like those are our two um, kind of objectives, but when they do come on there, what, um, you know, we need to make sure that it resonates, right? The messages that we're putting out on like LinkedIn ads and like we're, we're um, putting these workshops in and, and bringing our ICP, ICP buyers to the table. It's like when they come onto the website, it needs to, needs to be, they need to, it needs to follow that experience, yeah. right? It cannot be drastically different. So yeah, we're in the middle of doing that um, uh, right now, actually. Very cool. Well, speaking of that, uh, I have a couple closing things that I ask on every podcast. And one of those is in regards to your website strategy. Now this could be the company that you're currently at, maybe something you've tried in the past. What is something you guys have tried and did it work or did it not work? Ooh. So a couple things we tried. Well, one thing that has worked, I did this in my last company and we actually did this right now is on the form. And I know you probably have heard this and I know talk about it is on the form itself. We've added the, how did you hear about us mm -hmm. and made that a required and, um, and the other thing that we are doing now, but we also did my last company, it was actually just removing the friction, like from mm -hmm. the site and just like adding, adding a calendar booking link in there. Um, I can tell you at my last company, the minute we had done that, it was incredible. Um, and we were even getting compliments and, and we were selling to financial services, investment bankers, chief compliance officers. And the fact that they, while it was, while it was top of mind for them, they wanted to be able to talk to like a subject matter expert or book a call. The fact that we were able to do that on the spot and get that meeting secured, it's something so little, but it actually hearing from them also 
where they discovered us or where they heard about us was mm-hmm. really insightful because a lot of times it's everything we thought, taught about. Like I had this focused community in this particular place. Sometimes they actually put the link of the thread where you saw other, um, other buyers just like recommending products or it was like a referral from somewhere else. So adding those two things made uh, a huge difference, I think just in the speed, but then also in like the efficiency of how we conducted those first uh, first meetings and also helped us gain more insight into, hey, are the programs that we're doing actually working and helping educate? And we actually did see um, that more and more the people that were coming in were far more educated, right? As opposed to just, you know, kind of do, like earlier in the discovery process. So that worked really well and mm-hmm. we're implementing that um, at my current company now. Um, Something that doesn't work well that we tried is sometimes uh, we spend a lot of time um, comparing and trying to analyze um, how other companies do it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even from a design perspective, right? Uh, you you try to, uh, when you do design before copy and like trying to figure out, like it always, it always becomes, it always prolongs the process. I'm sure yeah. you know as well. So always starting with copy first and then letting the copy really determine the design is something, um, yeah. I and mean, it's, it's always like a fine balance, right? Cause like there's a visual aspect of it, but it's no one cares as long as it's, you know, there, there's so many other factors to the website when some when a buyer comes in um, about where the frame of mind is and you want the message to resonate, mm-hmm. right? Um, people can forgive, right? Like the way it looks, you know, it goes, it, it needs to be both. But um, I think that, oftentimes when we try to go design first then copy it's never uh, lent itself well so you know honestly i you are like preaching everything that is so well published from me on linkedin over the past year or so because all three of those things were aligned on so it was uh the calendar link um the what was the first one it was uh oh shoot oh the, oh, the how did you hear about us yeah that's yeah, a big one field. and then the last one um design i always say copy dictates the design not the other way around yeah and it's super aligned there so okay here we go you got me on a tangent so when it comes to this the pushback that i have gotten from the calendar and i'm team calendar on a website you can go to our site and it's right there you go book a time the pushback that i've gotten is oh we get so many uh we get so many calendar bookings we wouldn't be able to fill like it's just too many for our sales team right and it's because they're these very low intent like demo bookings or whatever. And the, how would come back to rebuttal that would be like, well, how are you qualifying buyers out? Because a lot of times your messaging doesn't say who you're not for. So there's strike one, you are not including pricing. So 75% of the people that get to the, the discovery meeting have no idea what the pricing is. And therefore they're probably, you're probably going to be out of their budget. And then the other thing is, um, shoot, it was around the tip of my tongue. I'll just go with those two. Really just qualifying people out with your messaging and your pricing. I had another one. It'll probably come to me later. But um, if you're not doing those things, I bet that would shave down a ton of the bookings. If that really is your argument that you're going to get all these these bookings that you have way too many to deal with, then um, either you need to get more salespeople because you have way too many qualified buyers or they're not qualified when they come in and book a time with you is really what it boils down to. That and you're probably going too broad, right? If you're yeah. getting a variety of different of different kinds of customers that um, that don't fit. So I think it kind of goes back to you probably have too broad of an ICP 
Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So and that's why they need to listen to the beginning of this podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other, um, yeah, the, the other uh, thing, shoot, what was I going to say? Um, the other thing too, actually a tip, and, and I had that same, I had that same um, argument at, the, at my last company. And I remember what I did to do this, to just show it was because my intention was, I want to be able to pass like high intent leads right to our sellers. And, um, and what I actually ended up doing was taking all the calls myself mm-hmm. and it's hard. We were small, right? I mean, it's, it's certainly depending on the volume, it may not, but it actually was a really helpful exercise to be actually, to, to actually take those initial calls. Cause it got me to really first kind of assess, okay, what was their perception coming in, right. In terms of what we did. Um, what were they hoping to to accomplish with it? And it made me realize actually that we were, we really were, I think our message was too broad or it was like, it was just not. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with like the website, which actually prompted, we did all the things we added calendar booking and we did the, how did you hear about us before we actually went through and like refined the website even mm-hmm. further. But taking those calls initially was actually really good because getting a variety of people um, I tried to push for a transparent pricing and didn't happen. Right. Yeah. But that's a big one, right. Where that was coming up more and more, but they had a very different perception about the problems we solved, which was like, okay, our website is clearly not working. Right. Because otherwise like that should have been very clear. So those things actually like being able to get on the phone and if you're unsure, go, go take the inbound, like take the mm-hmm. calls and like, you'll really quickly see, um, uh, you know, what, what was, uh, missing the mark there. So that's also, I encourage, like, you know, not, a, don't, don't be afraid to actually pick up the phone and call them. Um, and that just really helped us like be mm-hmm. a lot more efficient moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. So to close this out here, uh, for the last few minutes we have, um, I want to give you the opportunity to shoot any questions my way, if you'd like. So you are now the podcast host. If you have anything on your mind, uh, you want to ask, uh, let's switch this up a bit. Okay. Well, Sam, since you talk a lot about best practices, um, and you talk a lot about actually, I, I love the statement that website is not for the CEO. It's for your mm-hmm. buyer. I'd love, how, how do you communicate that, you know, as a marketing leader into the organization? How do you, um, yeah. How, how would you, uh, and, and just if you can unpack that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So the biggest, the biggest thing I see here is that the C-suite or the CEO, and this is obviously a very broad statement, love the thought of a amazingly sexy looking website. And this trend typically happens a lot more in the, I can see it in the gaming community and especially in um, the agency community. These websites, they say that they build websites and they say that they're like buyer centric. And then you get to the website and the user experience is lacking because they want it to look so cool. And you have to basically, the, the trend that I'm saying here in the gaming community and the agency is starting to creep into the SaaS world is it's this single page homepage that as you scroll, everything's like moving around and you can't even like read the next paragraph without a video sliding in and then the graphics moving. And it's like, it's a lot to get where you need to go. And I don't know the exact terminology for this, but I see it happening more and more. And as a buyer, it's really frustrating. So when I say the the website is for your buyer, not your CEO, that means, it doesn't mean that you can't have a great looking site. I totally believe that you should have a a site that's well-designed. You have to think about your buyer getting to the site and finding what they need. Like a lot of these, you can't even figure out what these companies do 
because you're like scrolling and scrolling and it's doing this large animated homepage and you can't even figure out exactly what the company does and for who, let alone book a demo or find pricing. The second thing is when a, when a website is built for a CEO and not the buyer, pricing is probably not going to be on that website because we quote, don't want our competitors seeing our pricing. That is not being buyer centric. Put the pricing on the website. If someone is coming to you and comparing prices, chances are you're going to be a commodity anyway. And you aren't positioned and creating the correct demand where pricing isn't an issue anymore. So that's how I feel about the pricing. And then the last thing is something that is really booted just for budgetary reasons is making the website a smooth experience when it comes to speed and really the usability of getting to a website and having a page load like it should. And a lot of times, you know, budgets come into uh, to question here and uh, resources are kind of cut short. And that's a, a massive factor when it comes to the, the user experience of a website. And the user experience is what your buyer is looking for. They, they want to look, if they want to find what they're looking for, they want to get from A to B as quick as possible. And like you brought up, the friction needs to be eliminated um, as much as you possibly can. Awesome. What examples, like any brands that come to mind that you think are doing this really well? Um, off the top of my head, um, let me think here. You know who does a really good job? I wouldn't say they're in the SaaS world, but uh, Sweetfish Media does a really good job with their site. They're, they're a podcasting agency. And I've always loved the creativity they have behind their messaging, but they don't confuse clarity with uh, creativity. So they're very, very clear about what they do for who and how they do it. But then again, they have fun with their messaging and it's not this boring, we do podcasts website. So that's an example off the top of my head. For SaaS, you know, nothing comes to mind. I, I know I really liked Gong before they did their rebrand with all their messaging. I think it got a little muddy, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if there's a way we could look back on, on some of that. But um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head if there's any others. I'll, that's You caught me off guard with that one. So I'll have to, I'll have to think about it and get back to you. <laughs> You'll have to do like a, a teardown, right? Yeah, the I love the teardowns. And why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the bad examples, uh, yeah, plenty come to mind. Obviously, I won't slam like names, but it's like I said, I've seen the trend creeping into SaaS where it's this, I don't even know, there's probably a name for it. I just get so frustrated with it. I don't even look into it, but it's the site and you probably have found it. There's not even a nav menu at the top. It's just you scroll and scroll and then it like slides the pages into view in these sections. And it's so annoying to find anything you need. And I just want to throw yes. my computer. Sometimes. I agree. <laughs> agree. Agree. I close a browser usually. <laughs> that's called, that's called trying too hard to be, yeah. uh, to be cool. And it's, it's not going to move the ship forward by any means. Totally agree. <laughs> well, Tara, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. This has been a lot of fun. Um, love so tackling uh, positioning, website strategy, all this kind of stuff. Um, so thank you. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Absolutely, Tara. We'll have to do this again one day. All right. Absolutely. And hopefully maybe you can tear down and hopefully once we redo it, you know, I'll be on the good list. <laughs> hey, send <laughs> it over. We'll, we'll right. take a look. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. That might be a good, a good follow-up after this. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Okay, cool. Thanks, Sam. <laughs>